Hello and welcome to Tea and Chat, the British English podcast that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Hello, how is your day going? I hope it's going absolutely splendid. The sun is still shining here in Canada as if the summer is never going to end. Truthfully though, I do miss the snow and cold temperatures of Canada and I am just so excited for that season to roll around, especially since Christmas is one of my favourite holidays. Actually, it's probably my favourite, truthfully. So, today we have the last episode of Real Reviews for Season 1. We are getting so close now to the end of season one. It's quite sad. Uh, In the next episode, in episode 20, the last episode of the season, I will talk a bit more about my plans for season two. Um, I'm actually going to spend the time between season one and season two kind of planning it out a bit more. So I won't have everything set in stone by that episode. But I'll give you an idea at least of when you can expect season two to start. So often with real reviews, I'm reviewing things like movies and books. I always say if you guys have any recommendations for anything else you would like for me to review, then you are more than welcome to do that. Um, But yeah, this previous month I'm quite happy because I managed to finish a few books. So this episode is going to be me kind of talking about books. Now, if you've listened to any of my previous Real Review episodes where I uh, talk about books, you'll know that I often kind of just give you, first of all, a brief insight into what the book is about, but then also provide you with my opinion. And the best part, I think, is actual quotations that I really, really liked from those books that I picked out to share with you. So the books that I finished this past month were Under the Hawthorn Tree, which I actually started a while ago, but I got distracted with so many other things that I didn't get around to finishing it until this previous month. But I absolutely loved it, so I can't wait to share that with you. And I read The Secret Life of Bees in the first couple weeks of August also. Um, I won't be talking too much about this book, primarily because it doesn't have many pages and I didn't tag many quotations from it. So although I really, really like the book, I feel like it's one that's a bit hard to describe to you without giving away the whole story. So obviously I don't want to do that. I only want to kind of give you an insight into what I have been reading. So I'll tell you what, let's start with that one just because I could probably talk about it for only two minutes. Um, First of all, The Secret Life of Bees, it's written by Sue Monk Kidd. It's an American book by an American author and was a New York Times bestseller. Like I said, it's not a very big book. Uh, I think it comes up to around 300 pages. So it was a nice one to kind of just quickly get into and read. And believe it or not, the book isn't directly related to bees, even though it is called The Secret Life of Bees. Um, Bees definitely play a big part in this book. But unlike the movie, The Bee Movie, (laughs) it's not all about bees. I remember when I first saw the title of this book, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is like how The Bee Movie got its idea. And then reading the blurb on the back of the book, I was like, okay, no, it's not quite related to that or it's not going to be similar to that in any way. This book is actually set in America in South Carolina in 1964 during the time of the Civil Rights Act in America. 
So it was a very pinnacle moment in time for people of color in America. But truly, that's another reason why I don't want to talk about it too much because my American history is non-existent. Um, and I don't want to give you some misinformation about that. But I do find books set in this time from the perspective of a person who maybe went through that or who has family who went through that really fascinating and interesting because it's not really something that you can imagine on your own. So just kind of getting that different perspective that a book often gives you through a character was a really nice way to learn a bit more about what others might have experienced during that time. So as you can imagine, there is a lot of hardship in this book, a lot of difficulty. Um, people of color were just getting the vote in America for the first time, just being allowed to vote. Um, so there was a lot of controversy, particularly in Southern America. I believe the Northern part of America was a lot more open and welcome to adapt to changes in life. But I think the South has always been a little bit more controversial when it, when it comes to this, especially since that's where most of the cotton picking farms and such were located. So truly it is a lovely, lovely book, although I wouldn't recommend it for English learners, it is quite difficult. So now I'm going to get onto Under the Hawthorn Tree. And this is also based upon history. So again, I don't want to mess the history up here, but it was really fascinating to learn about this period of time in China. It was set during something called the Cultural Revolution, which I never heard of previously. So this completely opened up my mind to that era and that time in China. Um, definitely, I don't know anything when it comes to Chinese history. So it was really, really fascinating for me to get an insight into that and learn something about it. And it's told through the eyes of a young girl called Jinkyu, who journals her life and her daily life, the things that she is going through. And we really see it from her perspective and a really emotional perspective as well. Um, this book has been made into a movie, but I am yet to see that movie and I kind of forgot that it's a movie. So I need to get around to watching that soon because I can only imagine the movie is hopefully as good as the book. Now with this one, I have many, many, many sticky tabs sticking out of it. So I'd love to go through it a bit with you and read a few of the quotes that I've picked out. The first one is when she is walking in the countryside with a boy called Old Third. And she says, since she wouldn't be sleeping on the mountain, there shouldn't be any risk of getting knocked up. And I don't think she understood the meaning of this when she wrote it, but it was just something that she'd heard. And knocked up is a phrasal verb, which means to get pregnant. But people often use it in a very negative way. So they'll say things like, don't get knocked up, you're too young, or she was so young when she got knocked up. So people often use it to say like young people getting pregnant. And honestly, it's not a very kind phrasal verb to say it in this way. Um, but yeah, that's a new one for you to learn. She also talks about the struggles that her family went through during this time, especially her mum. So she says, when the day came for her to be publicly criticised, she knew she couldn't hide it from us anymore. So at lunchtime, she gave my sister and me some money and told us to go to the market across the river and not to come back before dinner. We stayed away until five o'clock. As soon as we entered the school gate, we saw a poster so big it could have covered the sky. And on it was my mother's name. 
written upside down with a red cross over it, calling her a historical counter-revolutionary. So here we can see an example of the public shaming that went on in that time. So if you were found to do something bad or out of order, at least what they considered to be wrong, then you would probably get publicly humiliated like this, which I just think it's absolutely crazy because these days I don't think that's something that you would see, you know, a giant poster like this. And I don't believe her mother actually did anything wrong in this situation. It was just related to her dad. And because obviously she was married to her dad, um, she got in trouble for this. But even her dad, I think he didn't do much wrong. Um, it was just related to his job. I also have another word later on where Jinkyu is happy that someone listened to her and she says she was grateful to him for obliging her. And if somebody obliges you, it means that they listen to you and they do what you ask of them. So she was grateful, she was very thankful and grateful that this person listened to her and did what she said. It's quite a formal word to use, however, so you may not hear it in daily conversation. The next scene we have is quite funny, where Jinkyu experiences her first kiss. Apologies if you find this a little bit raunchy. I promise it's not, it's actually quite humorous. So here is that paragraph. Before she had time to react, he had already leant down to kiss her. Jinkyu tried to force him off, but he didn't pay any attention and continued kissing her, stretching his tongue so far into her mouth that she almost gagged. It's obscene. How can he do this? No one had ever said that kissing was like this. He can't be doing this for any honourable reason, she thought, so I'll have to try to stop him. She bit together so that he could only slide his tongue between her lips and her teeth, but his assault continued and she continued to lock her jaw shut. So I think this is hilarious. Um, she said that he pushed his tongue so far into her mouth that she almost gagged. And gagging is what you do kind of before you throw up. It has the same meaning as to retch, if you are retching. Um, I won't reenact it for you right now because I know some people absolutely hate the sound. But it's that kind of sound you might just make that comes from the bottom of your throat and rises up um, as you feel like you might be sick. And she said it's absolutely obscene what he's doing. Like, it's absolutely crazy what he is doing. And then she tried to stop him by uh, locking her jaw and biting her teeth together. Luckily, she didn't bite his tongue off, so that's good. But yeah, she kind of bared her teeth shut so that he couldn't shove his tongue down her throat. It's quite funny. We've all had our first kiss and hopefully your experience wasn't so traumatic. But it's just funny when you hear like teenagers struggling with these things and it's like, ah, we've all been there. <laughs> the next paragraph I have, however, is a lot more forlorn. And again, it refers to what life was like back then. So back then it was quite difficult to be able to afford to even eat. And we had rations. So if your food is rationed, it means you're only allowed to buy a certain amount of food often provided by the government. They will give you maybe either some ration tickets, which I think was the case in China, or in England during the Second World War, we got a ration book. So it would say something like, you're only allowed one loaf of bread per week or something like that. So here's a paragraph that mentions that. Her family wasn't just short of a few pence. 
They were short of a lot of pence. Her mother frequently borrowed money from other teachers and as soon as she got her wages, it would all go to paying back debt, only for the borrowing to start again the next day. The family would often give away their meat and egg rations as they didn't have the money to buy them anyway. Furthermore, her brother's earnings were never enough. All sent down youths had to ask for money, their status being so low that their work points weren't even enough to cover their rice ration. So here we learn as well that the children were quite young when they are working. So we also hear that Jin-Q has to get lots of temporary part-time work. And that's a theme that comes up consistently throughout the book. We hear about her struggles with that. Um, I believe she is in her late teens. So maybe she is around the age of 15 or 16. I don't think they ever directly mentioned her age. But yeah, she is quite young and she is working very tough manual jobs just to try and put food on the table for her family. Of course, back then, I think it was a lot more common all around the world for people to do work that was a lot more manually heavy. Um, These days with technology, you know, a lot of people's typical jobs involve sitting behind the desk at a computer. Later on in the book, she is worried that this boy that she kissed is cheating on her. So this is what she says. Pained, she realised cursing him was of no use. There were lies and cheats everywhere in this world. And cursing them didn't kill them off or even hurt them. You could only blame yourself, blame your own bad eyesight for not spotting one when he was in front of you. Now, I've never had to experience this, thank God, and I don't know anyone else close to me who has. So I don't want to speak too much on this topic since I'm not very educated in it. But it's a sad truth that many people have to go through, both men and women, And it's just terrible that there are cheaters like this. I don't think you should be the one to blame. Um, You definitely shouldn't blame yourself because it's not your fault. And, you know, it can't be expected. These things aren't uh, something that you can predict or something that you can just notice. It's not that you have bad eyesight for not noticing in it. I mean, they do say that some people have bad taste in men or bad taste in women. So... Maybe that can run true a little bit, but overall, you know, I don't think anybody goes into a relationship and expects to be hurt. So that's really terrible if you have experienced that and I'm really sorry for you. So Jinq and this boy actually exchange letters quite often. So later on, I have marked a quote from one of her letters. Were anyone else to see Old Third's letter, they probably wouldn't investigate it as a love letter, but it would be viewed as a reactionary piece of writing. For 30 years, the river flows east. For 40 years, the river flows west, had the tone of a class enemy's wishful thinking. Furthermore, phrases such as, you were born at the wrong time, your parents are the victims of injustice, etc., all displayed a certain resentment against society and were exceedingly reactionary. If found, this letter would finish Old Third off, and as his protector and accomplice in propagating these reactionary views, that'd be it for her too. So as you can see, she's panicking quite often about the letters that they exchange, because if anyone found out that they were dating, it wouldn't actually end well for her, considering her age. So she panics a lot that the letters will be intercepted and misinterpreted, or interpreted as revolutionary pieces of writing, or things favouring democracy, 
like that. So she's just kind of reading into so much detail uh, each thing that they that he writes to her as if it could be a clue to help the opposition in arresting her. Quite a scary time to live in if you think of it that way. Later on when she is sent out to work on a farm, she says this. Occasional trips to the outskirts of the city to pick herbs to make into medicine for the poor and lower peasants only added to their hectic schedule. Now, Jin Kyu is actually portrayed to be very poor, actually, in this book. So it's shocking to imagine that there are people poorer than her. And also she says that they have a very hectic schedule. And I think I've taught you guys this word before, but it means very busy. So if your life is hectic or your work life is hectic, it means that you are very busy. It's a word that we use quite often. Later on in the book, we also get another idea of what punishments would have been like at that time, um, especially because she has a bad dream. And in the dream, she is being punished. So in the dream, she says this. I'm a loose woman, loose like a worn out shoe. Everyone come denounce me. And I am a disgraced, stinky hag. I've committed adultery. Yeah, that's pretty harsh, to be honest. Um, if you are forced to go out into the streets and speak of yourself so lowly like this, um, it's not really right, even if somebody has done something wrong, which in this case, it wasn't so because it was a dream. But I, I don't think it's, it's right to humiliate someone like this. And actually, this dream of hers where she says she's like walking in the street, banging a gong, um, it reminds me of a scene from Game of Thrones. If any of you have seen Game of Thrones, you would know that there was a scene where Cersei Lannister was made also to walk in the streets and um, just, just in terms of her shame, just to kind of embarrass her. So perhaps this was something that was popular in medieval times, I'm not sure. But this also gives us uh, a clue that maybe this was popular during the Cultural Revolution. Again, I haven't studied the Cultural Revolution, but um, it sure doesn't sound good if that's something that you have to do. And yeah, if you say like you are a loose woman, you have committed adultery, it means that you have slept with many men. And, um, you know, she's saying she is loose like a worn out shoe and that um, she is a disgraced, stinky hag. A hag is kind of a rude word just to use to describe a woman and it's kind of old fashioned too. So yeah, lots of kind of mean words there. So now I'm just gonna look for anything else that I can pull out from the book that might be um, informative to you. Um, I have a, a part here on page 121 um, where she said, the secretary had been whining and dining a guest. Um, perhaps you can understand the meaning. It's almost quite literal, this. To say you are whining and dining someone, it means that you are hosting them and you are providing them with food and perhaps alcohol. So yeah, we say that a lot. Um, well, not a lot, but it's a way just to say I'm going to be hosting someone or I would like to be wined and dined. It means I would like for somebody to perhaps take me to a restaurant. Um, and she said as well, you know, they were whining and dining, I guess. They were also a bit tipsy. And if we say somebody is tipsy, it's like they are just a little bit drunk. So almost drunk, but not quite yet. They have just had maybe a couple drinks and they're starting to feel the effects of this. So now they are tipsy. Later on, on page 132, she also says, 
How could he tempt fate by saying things like that? As usual, she's very worried about old third's actions. And yes, so to tempt fate, perhaps it's quite literal as well. But it means to do something that is perhaps slightly risky that might get you in trouble. So you don't want to tempt fate. It's not something that you should do. Perhaps it's um, a little bit dangerous. Perhaps it's even a little bit illegal. So you don't really want to tempt fate in this way um, because then your fate may be a negative one. Later on, I have on page 163, if you can toy with her, then you could do the same to someone else. So we have this expression to toy with, to toy with someone. And to toy with someone, you can kind of uh, already think, okay, what do we do with toys? Well, we play with toys. So to toy with someone is to play with them, perhaps to tease them. Um, and usually in a negative way, you don't want to toy with someone. It's quite uh, rude, quite disrespectful. So yeah, to play with someone, to toy with someone, that's a good expression there too. And that was the main points actually that I got from this book under the Hawthorne tree. Most of them were from the first half of the book. And then as I went on to read the second half of the book, I was very absorbed while I was reading it. So I didn't uh, pinpoint so many phrases and as such, but I hopefully, I think that's a good amount there anyway, that I should stop uh, talking about this book for so long. And so really that brings this podcast episode to a close, I'm sad to say. <laughs> so now we have one more episode left for season one of Tea and Chat, which will be released next week. Like I said, I will go into a bit more detail about perhaps what you can expect from season two. Um, during the break between season one and season two, I will still be planning things, so I can't tell you everything but I can maybe give you a few hints of what you can expect from season two Uh, so I will see you in the next and last episode of season one and I hope you enjoy your day wherever you are in the world goodbye